we entered into the COVID-19 pandemic of 2020, worn out by the madness of modern life. That's true, isn't it? Modern life is just so, so chaotic these days. It's just so present all the time. I find with technology, with social media, with all the areas where we can be bombarded with information, it exhausts us. I look at my kids and what, how they grew up in their era compared to my era, and it makes me scared for my grandchildren or what they're going to be facing. Like, just as an example, in modern life, or actually in my life, if I broke up with a girl over the school holidays, and that was always a possibility, <laughs> happened often, <laughs> you would have weeks before you went back to school, and then it would actually take a week or two to filter through all your friendship groups. So you could prepare yourself for the onslaught of everybody saying, what, what, why, why, what happened? In my son's generation, he had five minutes before it hit social media everywhere and everybody already knew before he even got a chance to prepare. Modern life is just so chaotic and it presses on us. And then in the midst of this, we then went into what we call a pandemic. Now, this book isn't about the pandemic, though when history tells our story, COVID-19 will be our generation's World War II, the global catastrophe we lived through. What began in 2020 was a shared experience of global trauma. And trauma takes a toll on the long experience of losses, great and small, or the high-volume tension around masks, quarantines, vaccines, school closures, and on and on the list goes. So he's just talking about the fact that we went through so much emotional and spiritual trauma during COVID, and a lot of us didn't realise the effect and the toll that that took upon our lives. The amazing thing is, when we look across the entire world, almost everybody suffered some form of trauma because of this pandemic. But there are places in the world where they suffered so much more than what we did here in Coffs Harbour. We were actually very blessed to be able to still live to a, a reasonable life quality. But there are many people out in this world that suffered in ways that we could never even imagine. Like, I didn't personally lose somebody, but I have friends that I know that they did. And they went through the trauma of all that. And the thing that helped us get through, from Eldridge's point of view, this trauma of COVID was drawing upon the reserves that we have, our spiritual and emotional reserves. Because we've got to realise in life, we build up reserves. In times where it's quieter and we've got more available time to press into God and wait upon him, we build those reserves. And it's out of those reserves when we're in trauma that we draw upon that and we use and use up those reserves. And our reserves can come become diminished. And if it goes long enough, we can actually find that those reserves come to the point of almost being empty. And Eldris poses the point in this book that he believes, and I agree with him, that it is possible that there's a a bunch of people that aren't prepared for the next hit in their lives. 
because their reserves have been depleted. They're not ready to survive the next big event that may, may face them, whether it be sickness, work issues, family problems, financial stress, whatever it is. They may not have the resilience necessary to push through that. And that's why we need to be resilient, to have the ability to withstand or recover quickly from difficult situations. To be spiritually and emotionally resilient, prepared to face whatever comes against us. And Eldridge in this chapter, chapter 5, is re reflecting on one of the sillier reactions we saw during the COVID pandemic. He starts the chapter talking about, you know that thing that happened with the hoarding of the toilet paper? Forgive me if you were a hoarder. But that is one of the sillier things that we've seen in that pandemic. I could not imagine going to the shopping centre and seeing an entire aisle blank. Literally blank. Nothing in there. And having that happen for weeks upon weeks and weeks. I've got to ask, where did all that toilet paper go when it stopped? Because it still seemed to go out of the shop afterwards, but I'm not even going to go how that was used. Because it just happened to disappear, but the production still stayed, and it kept on being sold. It was a worldwide reaction of foolishness as far as I'm concerned, but it was a reaction that uncovered a deep fear in most people. A fear of lack. A fear of not having enough. A fear of running out. That's what was manifested by that reaction. People suddenly thought, hang on, I'm not going to have enough. I could run out. And what am I going to do if I run out? And they responded with this hoarding. He also uncovered another interesting trend that appeared to grip the entire world through the pandemic. It was the huge spike in online shopping. Who went nuts during the pandemic with online shopping? I know I did. My wife will say that I'm still nuts with it. I think I actually remodeled an entire bike through the mail during COVID. <laughs> it was fun. See, the huge spike was because we were suddenly imposed isolation from people and we looked to things to help us fill the lack in our lives. We weren't able to connect with people, so we still brought things into our lives and we utilised those to approach and attack that fear within us of the lack. See, the pandemic also allowed other fears to come into our lives. A fear of illness that was there every day. Am I going to catch it? What happens if I catch it? A fear of death, fear of isolation, of loss of normal life of economic collapse, of an unpredictable future. They were all underlying the whole time we are going through the pandemic. And the trauma of that, drawing and sucking away from our reserves, the fear of lack, the fear, the unknown, the constant pressure. Is life going to get back to normal? Is life going to get back to normal? And this immersion into fear revealed a very real question for many people. Will I be provided for? Will I have enough? Is there abundance for me? Is there an abundance? 
Pastor David's story this morning was a perfect example of that, of the widow in the midst of a, a drought, drought and a famine, unable to feed her family. There was not enough. But God is bigger than the not enough. And that's what we're going to look at this morning with this chapter. See, COVID made us vulnerable to deprivation and desolation. We were deprived of things and we felt desolated. Sitting at home, not being able to do anything, not being able to connect, not being able to go out and do the things we normally do, which led to a high level of vulnerability emotionally and spiritually. And it drained our reserves. I think COVID caused many people to forget a powerful promise of God. I love this scripture. It's one of my favorite scriptures. John 10.10. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. I think people forgot that during COVID. Although there was all of this terrible pandemic taking place, God was still in the midst of that for each and every person who lent upon him to give them life and life more abundantly. And that is what Eldridge comes to look at in this chapter, chapter 5, is the assurance of abundance. That's the title of this chapter, the assurance of abundance. See, assurance means confidence or a certainty. To be certain of something, to have confidence in it. See, I know right now I could actually probably, no, it's too far away. If we brought it a bit further forward with these old knees, I could jump onto that chair and I'm certain it would hold my weight. But if I took two steps this way and did the same thing and I jumped upon Pastor Justin, I think his reaction is going to be different to that of the chair. Yeah, should we try it? (laughs) There's a certainty in me that he would not be able to cope with that much sudden weight and pressure upon him. I'm certain of that. And the other word that he uses here is abundance, which is more than enough of something. So we have to have an assurance within us that God has more than enough for us. More than enough. Not just enough. Not just a little bit less than enough, but more than enough. Perfect analogy this morning. More than enough. Every time she went and she cooked again, there was more than enough for Elijah, Elijah, her and her son. Beautiful. God is a God of more than enough. He's a God of abundance. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who was able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all that you ask or think, according to the power that works in us, exceedingly abundantly, more. Psalm 36.8. They feast on the abundance of your house. The abundance of his house. They feast upon it. Psalm 23. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I always like that imagery of a cup overflowing. The cup has only got so much volume, so it can only have so much capacity within it. But God says, I'm not going to be concerned about the volume of the cup. This is what I've got for you. More than you can withhold. More than can stay stay within you. That is the life that I have for you, abundance. COVID stole that from so many people. 
But where does this ingrained, unconscious assurance of abundance come from? Eldridge, Eldridge proposes that emotionally, this assurance is imparted to us as inference from the relationship we have with our mothers. The rest of this chapter, he starts to really delve into the connection that infants have with their mothers. This is a quote from the book, from the chapter. From our earliest memories, our mother is a source of comfort, security, nourishment, and help. Starting in the womb, we receive all our nourishment from our mother. We are dependent on her in every way. Her emotions during pregnancy, especially how she feels about us, about being pregnant, shape our emotions into our adult lives all the way through. In the first moments after birth, we are placed upon our mother's chest, and our first experience of attachment is with her. So true. A child's spirit is alive in the womb. It may be growing as a fetus, it may be growing as a body, but it feels that connection with mum. And after that child is born, the first thing they do is they place the child on the chest of the mother. And there's an attachment that happens instantaneously, a connection. And out of that connection, so many things start to grow. Just after that quote in the book, there's another one by psychologist Karen, Robert Caron, who said, emotionally healthy young people who are both self-reliant and able to rely on others. That's an emotionally healthy person. Somebody who's self-reliant, but not independent to the point where they won't rely upon others. They recognize their faults and their weaknesses, and they still rely upon others. That's the goal we have as an emotionally healthy person, where we are self-reliant, but we rely on the other people in our lives as well, because we are meant to be part of something bigger than ourselves. So these self-reliant and able to rely on others had home lives in which both parents were loving and emotionally generous, and the mother had given them a feeling of complete security. Complete security. It's out of that complete security that an infant starts to recognize the assurance of abundance in their lives. Because it's a connection. On an emotional level, our fundamental convictions about whether we are going to have enough, if we will be nourished and blessed, these gut-level primal convictions come to us through our relationship with our mothers, especially in that infant stage, in that really beginning stage. See, even before we even learn to speak, we are forming our deepest beliefs about the world and our place in it through our interactions with our mothers. My granddaughter, Harley, she cannot speak yet. But I know her worldview is already being shaped. You can see it. When she got dropped off at our place a couple of weeks back, she was asleep when she got dropped off. And she woke up in a strange place. Not strange, but not where she went to sleep. And she looks up and straight away she looks around and you can see that she's looking for mum and for dad. And when she didn't see mum and dad, her response was to cry. Because they are her worldview. She's learning from them so many things. See, we learn in that early stage what love is. We learn what tenderness is. 
We learn what nourishment is. This is a baby that can't even speak yet, but they're learning these things. They're taking them on. They know what connection is, safety, fulfillment. They know these things. They know that their needs matter. That I will be satisfied that I will have enough. An assurance of abundance. An assurance within them. A certainty that there's going to be more than enough. All because they're loved. All because they're connected. See, these are the polar opposites of the emotions we experienced during COVID. See, during COVID, it was lack. It was fear. It was all these things. But in our abundance in God, it should be love, connectedness, a feeling of fulfillment and safety. This assurance of abundance helps us to be resilient. To have that ability to be able to withstand or recover quickly from different conditions. When we know we have an abundance, we can take a hit. It's easy. We take the hit because the abundance is there and we know God is a God of abundance. And this assurance was designed by God to be imparted to us right from the beginning. From those first moments that we are placed on our mother's chest. A connectedness, an attachment, something we learn. But unfortunately, it's not always the case. As we read earlier in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. And he knows he can do great damage to a person's spiritual emotional resilience if he can taint this early connection and distort a person's assurance of that abundance. If he can do damage at that point, he can affect our adulthood. And Eldris covers this by talking about something that he says is mother, desolation, or deprivation. Not having that connectedness with the mother. One of the ways we can be denied an assurance of abundance is through that mother desolation or deprivation. He shares this story of Dallas Willard, a famous writer on Christian spiritual formation. It says this, Dallas was only two and a half years old when his mother died. It was 1938. His mother and father had gone bankrupt during the Depression and lost their family business just before Dallas was born. They lived in a hard rural life, and Dallas's mother, Mamie, suffered from an injury jumping from a hay wagon. A subsequent, a subsequent surgery was botched, and she never recovered. Mamie wrote to her children poems from the hospital, another beautiful picture of the emotional assurance a mother offers to her children, but she would never return home. The loss of his mother was incomprehensible to this precious little boy, not even three years old yet. During the funeral, the wake, little Dallas tried to climb into his mother's casket. That's sad. There's a loss, a dramatic loss there. See, losing a mother or never having a mother or living with a mother who in many ways can't meet the emotional needs in your own life, it's devastating. And impacts a person's assurance of abundance, an adult's assurance of abundance. It's impacted because they haven't had that attachment. They haven't had that connection to learn these things that we learn when we have a strong family life. See, mother deprivation takes place in many ways that are much less noticeable than this story, but just as impacting. 
I can relate to this. I'm going to share a bit of my testimony this morning. Let me start with a pretext. My mother was saved later in life. And when she passed, 15 or so years ago, we had a great relationship, a strong relationship. We'd rebuilt things. But that wasn't the case when I was a child. See, my father passed away before I was even three. And my father and my mother had this strong connection. They loved each other. And it shattered her, completely shattered her. And she withdrew within herself to the point where she become, became agoraphobic. She became claustrophobic. She became an alcoholic. She became bitter and broken to the point where she could not emotionally connect with anybody. I can't remember as a child ever getting a hug because I'd come to her to give her a hug. And let me say this, preface it again, I love my mother. But she would push me away because she just didn't have the capability within her to accept any kind of emotional connection. And we lived on a pension. <laughs> and it was a small pension. And we were only able to get through week by week. That was it. And this led to me being, as a very young boy, lonely, withdrawn, extremely shy, independent in a negative way, not a positive way. I just did everything myself. Emotionally shallow, angry, bitter, resentful, fearful, and to be honest with you, always, always having a feeling of lack. Always felt there wasn't enough. There wasn't near enough of anything. It led me to all oh, that lack within me led me to search out and seek out a way to fill that in all the unhealthy ways you possibly can imagine, as many people do in their lives. It was it wasn't until I got saved years later, in my 20s, early 20s, where I went back through some of my textbooks from school. And you know how you dawdle, they'll just draw and everything? In all of my textbooks at the back, right through my school history, was one word that I kept on writing. Help. 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 I was a broken person. All because I didn't have that connection. See, the soul is meant to receive nourishment from our mother, physically and emotionally. Nourishment is absolute abundance. When it doesn't, the soul experiences a famine of the most serious kind. Unmet cravings for security, love, blessing, and nourishment carry into adulthood. And I carried this into my adulthood as well. When Donna, my wife, and I got together, and we realized that we we're going to live the rest of our lives together, and we started a plan about having a family, she was actually concerned. She was concerned because she didn't know what type of father I'd be. And she had every right to be, because I was concerned as well. I hadn't seen a healthy relationship. I hadn't seen, and my friends, all their families had broken up. I hadn't seen a marriage that was strong and going forward. I hadn't seen what it was to be parented. And this sounds like a sad story, but it's not. Because the wonderful thing is, God 
is bigger than all of that. See, I turned to him. I turned to him and I said to him, God, you need to teach me. You need to teach me how to be a husband. You need to teach me how to be a father. You need to teach me how to be a man. And all those things that I lacked, that I didn't get from my natural connection with my mother, I found with my spiritual connection with my heavenly father. And my life changed. It turned around dramatically. And I believe that I've been a good husband. I believe I've been a successful father. All because of my attachment to God. See, the wonderful thing is even if people haven't experienced this assurance of, of abundance through their human presence, parents, they can through God. See, I can honestly say, and it, let, let me go back just a step when I start to wrap up here. That fear of lack within me brought a poverty spirit around my life as well. Real poverty mentality because I'd grown up in that arena. But when I realised that God is a God of abundance and he has a greater life for me, that is broken. I can honestly tell you today that I know that I live a life of abundance, more than enough. No matter what I face, whether it be in times of trial, we have had times in our ministry life, up in the Whit Sundays, we had $10 in the bank. And I was working as a kitchen dish pig just to be able to bring the money in. But even in then, there was an abundance because every week we met every bill. Every week we met everything we needed to do and the $10 stayed there. That's still more than enough. My mindset at times was that that's not enough, but my spirit said it is. I'm not going backwards. I'm meeting everything I need to meet. God is a God of abundance. See, our salvation is our new attachment. See, remember the story about Dallas, the little boy? This is a story from Jim Wilder, who wrote just before Dallas died of cancer and their interaction. Dallas Willard sat across from me with tears in his eyes as he looked at the floor. Dallas only had weeks to live but his tears were not for his own life. What I have learned in this last year, he told me, is more important than what I learned the rest of my life. But I have no time to write about it. I will try to finish the projects I've already started. He looked up at me and I wondered if he was thinking about our conversation or something else. You need to write about this, Dallas said. His voice was steady but with mounting passion. I know of no doctrine of salvation based on forming a new attachment with God. The only kind of love that helps the brain learn better character is attachment love. The brain functions that determine our character are most profoundly shaped by who we love. Changing character as far as the brain is concerned, means attaching in new and better ways. This realisation brought Dallas to tears. My life changed 
when I attach to God. Be with Jesus. Be like Jesus. When you attach to him, when you connect to him, when you live with him, when you live for him, when you allow him into your life fully, that assurance of abundance becomes your gift. Knowing with everything you have more than what you need. See, to to be truly assured that we live a life of abundance, no matter what the circumstances, we need to be attached to God. I love what Eldridge says in this chapter when you go to read it yourself or listen to it yourself about the mother connection that an infant has with their mother. I agree with it 100%. But I've got to tell you this, from experience, God loves you more tenderly and more irrevocably than the best of mothers. The best of mothers. And God is the source of all love, and we need to attach ourselves to that love. See, I was set free probably back in 1995, I'd say. Don and I were actually um, in Thailand at this stage, and I still had an estranged relationship from my mum. And I was praying about it with God. And this set me free, and I hope this will set some people free here today, not only with their own relationship with their mother, but you also possibly as a parent, if you look at your own life and think you haven't done the best of all jobs. God said something very simply to me. He said she did the best with what she had. Set me free. I could feel my heart just open once again and the love for my mother come pouring back into my life because I looked at what she'd gone through. I looked at what she experienced and because I was older, because I was married, because my wife was already pregnant with my first child, I understood what it was to be a parent and I understood what she went through and the desolation she experienced and she loved me with everything she had and through that our relationship was restored and we rebuilt it and at the end of her time with us we were able to hug and just sit there and love each other because God is a God of restoration he's a God of restoration I want to finish with two questions number one is ask yourself this are my actions and emotions proving that I have assurance of abundance how are you living now how you experience in life is it proving that you have that assurance of God's abundance that my needs matter and they will be met and met joyfully are you living there if you are great stay there draw upon that bring it into your reserves let that resilience build if you're not ask yourself this question how can I become more attached to God in a greater measure to experience this freedom it is a freedom it's not only a gift abundance it's a freedom let me pray this morning father I thank you that you're a God of abundance I thank you 
that we attach to you. I thank you that you give us assurance. I thank you that you heal us. I thank you that no matter what we've gone through in our lives, you are a God of restoration, of reconciliation, of transformation, that you can breathe into the heart of any individual and heal that brokenness and restore relationships. Lord, I thank you so much that you love us with everything within you, that you hold nothing back, that you bless us, and your spirit dwells within us, and we are full because of you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.